Let me lead us in prayer as we begin to have a look at God's word. Loving Father, thank you so much that you love us and that you don't just love us and keep that to yourself, but you love us and share it with us in the Bible by your spirit. Please teach us today so we can know your power, so we can know what to pray for as well. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what are you praying for? What are you praying for at the moment? I don't mean like this very moment because you're looking at me and we're in the church thing together. Uh, But when you're alone speaking to God, what are the things that you're praying for? Might be that you're praying for an end to the coronavirus pandemic. Maybe you're praying for the mental health of people in our community at the moment. Perhaps you're praying that people would know Christ in this crisis. These are great things to pray for. What are you praying for our church here at Jamboree Anglican? Is that something you pray for? Are we someone that you pray for? And if so, what do you pray for for us? Well, let me give you a moment to think about that. On the front of your talk outline, there's a little box that says what we should pray for Jamboree Anglican. Uh, You might like to take out a pen and write a few words down there or just sit and listen and think about it. But I'll give you about 30 seconds to, to give some thought. If I said to you, what should you be praying for for our church here? What would you say? I'll give you 30 seconds just to think about that. What should we pray for Jamboree Anglican? should be just about long enough. Maybe you've got one or two words at least. Uh, Are there any people here in this room who might like to shout out what it is that you wrote down in your little list? Like maybe just one word. What's one word that you're praying for for our church here at Jamboree Anglican? Unity. Unity. Yes. To pray that we would be together, that we'd be unified. Yeah. What else? Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's a great thing to be praying for. Yeah. Yes, that we would be doing God's will here. Any more? Praying for the people. Yeah. There are lots of things to pray for. And keep an eye on what you've wrote down there or see if you can keep a mental note of it. Because what we're going to do is we're going to examine what a very famous church planter prayed for the church that he planted. Uh, the person I'm talking about is the Apostle Paul. What, what does a church plan to do? They go around and they start a church pretty much from scratch, maybe with a few people. And they say, let's just tell people about Jesus. And then they come to know Jesus and they can be with us as we plant this little church. He did a whole lot of that. And then he left them and he started and planted other churches. But he kept praying for them and he kept writing down, guess what I'm praying for for you? That's what we're looking at today. So we'll find that out. And what we'll see is that Paul's prayers will help our prayers. Paul's prayers will help our prayers. We're going to get insights into a great leader of the Christian church, the Apostle Paul. Uh, For as Robert Murray McShane once famously said, what a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. 
we're going to see something about what the Apostle Paul prays when he's on his knees for the church that he's planted. And we're going to learn along the way. And I, I reckon that what we'll see in the next little while this morning is going to be deeply practical. It, it, I mean, everything we learn about God is important. But I, I'm hoping you'll walk away saying, oh, you know, that's actually going to tweak the way that I pray. That's going to help me know what to pray for for my church, for my f- church family. So as we read this now, I'm going to read out these verses from chapter 1, 15 to 23. Have a look and see if you can spot the things that Paul is praying for. He says this, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. So what does he pray for the Ephesians? Well, let's jump in and have a look. Actually, we'll skip straight to verse 16, because he starts by saying, I've not stopped thanking God for you. I've not stopped thanking God for you. Paul is very thankful to God. Are you thankful to God? When you go to pray to God in whatever way and whatever place, do you mention thanks for thankfulness as you pray? Are you saying to God, I'm thankful for stuff that's happening around? You know, when we go to God and pray, we can sometimes turn up with a bit of a, a, bit of a shopping list. We can say, dear God, please help me with my, my sore tooth. Or um, please help me to be patient with that annoying person at work. Or help me to say no to that temptation. Or help me to manage my stress better or, or deal with the, my unemployment or, or being laid off or all this. We've got all these things and they are good things. God says, I'm your father. Chat to me. Bring me your prayer. So that's a good thing to do. Bring your shopping list to God. But also be thankful. That's how Paul starts. It's straight off the bat. He's thankful to God. What is it that makes him thankful to God for them? What is it about them? Well, let's go back the verse before. And he says, Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere. What's he thankful for? Well, firstly, he's thankful that they have a strong faith in Jesus. They have a strong faith in Jesus. Uh, when I think of having strong faith in something, I think of going on a roller coaster. Uh, why do we do it? I mean, it just seems to be an instrument of torture, really. But we sit there in the chair and then we have this big metal bar get pushed down and locked in. <laughs> you think, 
I'm really hoping that bar works because this is not some sort of like little four-year-old choo-choo train that sort of meanders around the park. This thing's going to send me upside down. And so I want to make sure that I'm, you know, fully locked into this. And, and just to make sure that it's fully locked in, the, the attendants very, very carefully, scientifically and, and accurately check to see it's all fine. You know, they sort of, you know, just touch it as they walk past. It's like, <laughs> right, okay. And then off it goes. And as I'm sitting there, I'm the goose that says, I have my faith in that bar. I actually believe that when I'm thrown upside down, I'm like, ah, that that actually it's going to hold me in. You show your faith when you go on those crazy rides. Faith is about trusting in something for your life. That is what the Ephesians have done. They heard about the message of Jesus and they said, I am going to throw in my car keys. I am going to take my crown off and place it at his feet. I'm no longer going to be in the driving seat. I'm going to trust in Jesus fully. And that's what they did. And Paul says, I am so thankful that you've done that. You know, when I, when I chat to people who have recently become Christians, I am so thankful to God that they've done that. I'm so thankful to God when, when I see people who have been Christians for 50 years, 75 years or more, and you're still plugging on. I say, I'm so thankful to God for that. Thankful to God for the strong faith. But he's also thankful to God for something else. He's thankful because they had love for other Christians. They had love for other Christians. You see, when you are loved by God... You just want to love other people. It's sort of, it kind of, it, you, your cup overflows with love. You want to love others. And the Bible says that it's important for us to particularly show love for the household of God. Now, we want to show love for our whole village and valley and wider community. And we do that. We want to do more and more of that as well. But we really got to have a focus on our love for the saints, for the Christians here. Uh, my eldest daughter, Liana, had a house fire last year. And uh, fortunately, she was fine and it was a rented accommodation and they were insured and, and uh, not too many special things were damaged. And, and praise God for all of that. Uh, it was pretty full on and fairly, fairly traumatic. But what was probably the greatest take home of all of that was the demonstration of love for her and for her husband, Bram. The, the fact that, that people were giving them money and clothing and even accommodation. I mean, it just makes me quite moved when I, when I think of that love. That love is, is so strong and powerful. And it's a, it's a tangible love. And it's a love we can show, we can say thank you, God, for that love that Christians have that bubbles up and loves to each other. Uh, see, it's a beautiful love, especially in times of trial, in times of difficulty. When you are on your knees before God, are you saying, thank you, God, for the love of Christians? It's a great thing to be praying for, isn't it? To be thanking God for that. But what else does he thank God for? It, well, he says as he's praying that he, he I pray for you constantly. I pray for you constantly. He doesn't stop praying for them, praying constantly. Now, if we take that super literally, then it would mean that he'd wake up in the morning and go, oh, I'll start praying, and he prays, and then someone sort of feeds him food on a plate or, or, or maybe through a drip or something like that, and then he goes to sleep and he wakes up the next... I, I don't think that's the way he prays because clearly he's out planting churches and building tents and other stuff that he did. So what does it mean? 
Well, it would have meant that he would have prayed for them at the regular prayer time. So the, the Jewish faith that he grew up in that then came to know Jesus as king, uh, it, it started with prayers in the morning and the afternoon and in the evening, set prayers, prayer times. It's kind of cool. But, but I think even more than that, it was sort of like he had a constant connection to God all the time, chatting here and there. Uh, back in 1995, when I first connected to the internet, I remember that we had to have a modem that you would plug in and you'd dial up. And so you'd plug it in and if you were on the phone, you'd have to tell everybody to get off the phone and then you'd dial in and it'd, and it'd, it'd connect up and then you, you would charge by the minute. Remember that? I, I seem to recall it was $6 an hour to be connected to the internet back in 1995. Whew, that's pricey stuff. We didn't go on there and just go, la, 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 waste time. That was before Facebook was invented. We, we went on there and we just got our emails, got some stuff, checked some things, and signed off as fast as we possibly We got into Alta Vista, did our, our searching, into, you know, and Yahoo. I mean, Yahoo's sort of around. And we still, we did our stuff, we turned off. And that was the end. And then maybe next day we'd turn on again and get our emails and quickly reply very, very, very fast, and then off we go. Then we got cable modems, and, and then we, we had ADSL, and it was always on all the time, always connected. And that's sort of, you know, in the MBN, that's, that's life for us now, isn't it? It doesn't mean that we spend all our time downloading and uploading. I speak for most people, maybe not for some... <laughs> But even though you're connected all the time, it, you, you, you kind of sometimes downloading, sometimes uploading, you know, check your emails and then and that's it. And then maybe the thing flashes and you check it and whatever. You, I think that praying constantly is a little bit like the second one. You're always connected to God and you're just praying, thinking you're chatting to somebody. You say, oh, I'm just about to chat to someone. I'm about to give them a call. You know, you're thinking you're just dialing and saying, oh, yeah, dear Lord, just, um, yeah, just pray that, they, that I have a great chat and that I'd encourage them. G'day, how are you going? I mean, it, it's a kind of, you know, you're driving somewhere, you drive past the church. You think, oh, I pray for the church, or drive past the school, or you, you drive past Fredo's, you pray for the people who are getting stuff in Fredo's, or, you, or you, you, you see something about the Middle East, and so you pray for Joe, our missionary there, and you, you see stuff and you just pray. I think that's what it's talking about. It's pretty casual, pretty relaxed, and I think it's a great model. Don't feel like you've got to get the words exactly right. You don't. Just chat. It's fine. It's good. But other than thanking God for them all the time, what else does he pray for? Verse 17, he says, asking God the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Before we look at exactly what he does pray for, did you notice who he prays to? He prays to the Father. Paul prays to the Father. That's the normal pattern of prayer. When we see the scriptures, it's usually it's prayer to the Father in the name of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Now, that's the normal way. Most of the time I pray to my Father, Heavenly Father. Sometimes I pray to Jesus. Sometimes, very occasionally, I pray to the Holy Spirit. Because he's a person too. Three persons, one God. But the main way that we see it modelled is that we bring our requests to our Heavenly Father. And that's what we see right here. And what does he pray for? Well, he prays that they will have an insight, a kind of a revolution into exact, a revelation into exactly what is real in the world. He wants them to see the world God's way. 
He wants them to have God's wisdom. He wants them, when they are looking at stuff on the internet, when when they're checking the news, when they're seeing people in the street, when they're buying stuff at the shops, when they're thinking about their future, to be thinking God's way. They want to have God's wisdom, that they have God's knowledge. See, sometimes people can get a bit narky about churches that talk a lot about the knowledge of God, about knowing God, knowing God. It's like, I don't want to know God, I want to feel God. You know, I want to experience God, not just all knowledge, head knowledge stuff. Well, if knowledge of God was just head knowledge, then fair point. But it's not. You you speak to a, a teenage boy who's about to go out with a girl, and what does he want to do? He wants to get to know her a little bit better. I don't think he's, he's wanting to get information that can describe her. I, I don't think he's wanting to say, tell me your height, excellent. Uh, t- tell me what subjects you're studying at school, okay. And tell me where you travelled. T- tell me a little bit about your, your... No, he just wants to hang out with her, to know her. You know what I mean? And, and I think that when we talk about growing in our knowledge of God, yes, we'll know stuff about him because you know, it's good to know about a person so you can show them love. I don't bring Mandy coffee in the morning because she doesn't like coffee. Uh, when I do bring her things, it'll usually be Vegemite toast. That's her love language. <laughs> uh, and so I know that. I know that and I love her that way. You know? uh, and, and so with God, we, we want to know about him to understand him, but it's not just a I want to pass an exam about him kind of knowledge. It's getting to know him, knowledge. And that is why we spend time knowing and growing in the knowledge of God. You know, that's why I spend a day or so a week trying to craft this sermon for you. Uh, For me, I mean, I learn heaps. You learn heaps together so that we know God better because we love God and you want to know the one you love. And so we do. We want to see the world through his heart. I mean, it will help our prayers. One of the most famous prayers in the Bible, I think, we often don't think about it this way, but it's the prayer when Jesus was about to die and he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he is, his body is physically reacting to the reality that he's going to get executed on the cross. And as he is there, he prays to God, Father, take this cup away from me. Say, take this suffering away from me. Yet not my will but yours. Where he kind of says to God, I wish there was a plan B, but I know there's not because I know you. I know you. And so I'm going to go with plan A, which is take me to the cross. As we know God, as we have his wisdom, as we have his understanding, that will That will help us understand our prayers for him, to him. What else does he pray for? Verse 18. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. That's a little odd, isn't it? I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light. And what does that mean? Sounds like some sort of strange medical procedure or something, maybe. there's another translation of this uh, in another version of the Bible, which probably is a little, I like a little bit more. It talks about the eyes of our heart being enlightened. What is it talking about? Well, if I want to, uh, you know, here's my little iPad. It's got my, the bit that I'm looking at for my talk. Uh, I'm looking at that. Light is coming towards me. 
And as that light is coming to me, I'm reading it and my eyes are doing little things with the optic nerves or whatever and it's going into my brain and that is influencing me in the way in which I am seeing the world as I'm understanding things. I think that there's something to do with that, that God wants us to to come and to see the light that he is showing us so that we would understand something about him. And what is it that he wants them to understand? Well, it says there, your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he's given to those he's called. Paul wants them to have a confident hope. Honestly, is there anything more important than hope? Is there anything more important than hope? Um, You might have money. You might have success. You might have relationships. You might have all sorts of things that you can boast about on Instagram. But if you have no hope, you have no thing. You have nothing. I think one of the greatest tragedies of this 2020 that we're going through at the moment is when you see people who react to being hopeless. And sometimes we see it when people take their lives. We've seen far too much of that in the last couple of weeks, haven't we? Locally especially. And it's not something we can just simply say it happened because of this, that or whatever reason. Things are deeply complicated. But when people are lacking in hope, it makes it harder to live, doesn't it? And Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that they would have hope. That God, by his word, would bring the light into them, into their hearts, so that they would have hope, a confident hope. It's not the kind of hope like, you know, I kind of hope things work out, or I hope I can get through this, or I hope what they say about the future is true. It's not that kind of hope. It's a certain hope. It's the confident hope. It's the certainty about the future. I have zero doubt that if I was to die today, that Jesus would welcome me and say, Jody, you are my friend. I have zero doubt about that. Now, how did I get that kind of confident hope? Oh, it's not something I came up with. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you are feeling weak about the future, if if your hope is not really very confident then you can sort of just sort of bite down in the mouth guard and say, I'm trying to get more hope. I mean, yes. But really what you want to do is say, would you give me hope, please, God? And ask your friends and say, I'm feeling pretty weak in hope. And say, would would you pray for me? It's like, you bet I'll pray for you. That is exactly what it is that Paul is praying for them, that they'd be full of hope. They'd know that the future is certain in Christ Jesus. And if you are here today... We're in the hall or watching a live stream and you do not have a certain hope for the future, you're missing out. Because it's not hard to get. You trust in Jesus, you throw him your car keys, you lay your crown down, you follow him as king, you say, sorry for living my own life, rejecting you, would you please forgive me? And he says, yes. And at that very moment, you have something certain to hope in. No more doubt. No more insecurity, no more understanding, misunderstanding the future. And if you don't have that, you need to have that. I, I urge you to have that because hope changes everything. Hope changes everything. 
And if you ever feel you are out of hope and you don't know who to call, call me. Uh, on the back of our new sheet, you can see there's a phone number for the church that, that diverts to my mobile. Give it a call. Call it a few times in the night and it'll wake me up and I'll be there for you. Honestly, other people in this room, seriously, uh, we're in this together. And if you find yourself in a hole you can't get out of, ask someone. We'll jump in there with you and help you out. And it's because we have hope in Jesus. But as we are in this situation, we also see that we are valuable to God. This is kind of cool. We read that we are his rich and glorious inheritance. That was true of the original Old Testament people of God. And then when they believed in Jesus as Jewish Christians, so to speak, and they shared that with non-Jewish Christians, then all of us together have that hope. Where All of us together have are now that inheritance, which means that we are truly valuable to God. It's kind of funny to think that God who owns everything in the universe might actually find his own people to be quite valuable. It's kind of like he gets the people from Jamboree Anglican and he says, these guys are going straight to the pool room. You know, we, we are the ones that he values. And he says, look at them. I want to show you something important. Look at the, look at the Jamboree Anglican people. It's like, see, we are valuable to God. And that is a beautiful thing to think. He loves you. You might not feel valued. You might think that no one loves you. No one values you. Well, rubbish. It's not true. God loves you. You are valuable to him. And if you trusted in him, you are part of his special collection, his top shelf, his black label. You are the bee's knees. You are in his inheritance. But what else does he pray for? Verse 19. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. He wants them to know God's power. I don't know if you wrote that down on your little list on the front of the page when I said earlier on, or even thought to mind, what, what am I praying for the people in Jamboree Anglican? I'm praying that they'd know God's power. Uh, to be honest, uh, I wrote it down because I wrote the sermon. <laughs> I knew the answers. But, but for you guys, <laughs> I suspect you may not have put that down. And if you had asked me a, a week or two ago, I would have said, you know, all the stuff that you already shouted out. But it's interesting. He says, I want you to know God's power. Why, why would we want to know God's power? It's so that we can rely on God's power, so that we can be strengthened by God's power. You know, sometimes in my, my I, you know, I've been using my phone a lot, it says you're going to low power mode, and it, and it sort of changes the little colour in the corner where the battery is, and it says, you know, I'm not going to work nearly as strongly as I was before, and you might miss out on some emails, and oh, okay, I'll go slowly, or whatever it is. And it gets low, and then you get this, you know, battery 10%, 5%, you're thinking, oh, this is going to get drastic, you know, and it runs out of power, and you think, is it that kind of power that we're talking about with God? Not necessarily. But what it is, is it's, a, it's the power of God. He actually describes it. He says in verse 19, This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. What's the power he's talking about? It's the power that said to Jesus, Get out of, get out of the tomb. Open up the tomb. It's the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And it's the power that lift, that raised him up to be seated at God's most powerful spot, at his right hand in the heavenly realms. 
You see, what happened was that when God raised Jesus from the dead, he defeated death. The defeat of death is the greatest display of power. Ultimately, all of the bad news that we have at the moment is all related ultimately to death, isn't it? It's all related to death in one way or another. And whether you're a follower of Jesus or you're not yet, then then still death hits us and it kicks us in the guts, doesn't it? And, And because we know that death is defeated, we have hope in the future, which we have hope in eternity. It still kicks us in the guts. But the point is that we do know that it has been defeated so that if we trust in Jesus, then when we die, we know that we will live forever with Christ. And if you know someone who has died as a friend of Jesus, you know that they are with Christ, which is better by far than anything else. How did he do that? How did he defeat death? It's through his power. And that's the power that Paul prays for the church at Ephesus, that they tap into that power so that with that power they might be strengthened, strengthened to put one foot in front of another, strengthened to love one another when they feel down and selfish, strength to to see the power that would actually keep keep our eyes up, fixed on Jesus when we feel downtrodden. It is a power. It is a power that helps us in our weakness when we are in low power mode. We need the power to help us see Christ and to have that hope. But he also wants us, the Apostle Paul, to reflect on Jesus' amazing authority. Uh, We read that now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. He basically wants to make it very clear that Jesus is powerful above every other power. Every other power. A lot of people in this world would want to see it that it's uh, that when you're trying to pick a religion, it's a little bit like picking a car. You go up to Albion Park Rail and you drive along there, and there's a Nissan dealer, and there's a there's a Holden. Well, there used to be Holden. There's a there's a, all the different dealers down there, and you, you see them, and you say, well, I reckon I might like a Hyundai. So you drive in there or you whatever, and you pick that one. They're all pretty good. Some of them better than others, all that sort of stuff, and you give it a go. We, we, we think it's a little bit like that with Jesus. You're driving along and you say, oh, you know, oh, yeah, Judaism. Oh, I hear that they've got, they, they go, go for a long time. They're pretty good. Or what about the Muslims? We'll check them out. Or a bit of New Age stuff. Or, or atheism. It's kind of a, it's a non-car. But anyway, I could try and buy it if I wanted. And you could, and you, oh, Jesus, I'll check him out, you know. And you go along and away you go and you, you pick one out from one or the other. But the thing with Jesus is that he is the, he is the only true ruler. All the rest are just fakes. It's kind of like someone throws you the keys and you say, well, where's the car? So, <laughs> sorry. So, like, really? I paid for a car. Well, you pay for the car keys and really there's no car. You see, Jesus is the only one who really rules. He is far above any so-called ruler or authority or leader or whatever else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. So back a winner. Don't buy a dud. Go for Jesus. He's the only one who is the true king. And everything else is a waste of time. Now, I know that's controversial. People will say that that's a you know that I'm a little bit small-minded, that I'm a bit narrow. That you know it's kind of like, well, why don't you just say all religions are pretty good, but just pick the one you like a bit better? Well, I could say that, but I'd be lying. 
And this is not just a case of, well, you know, what's good for you is good for you and what's good for me is good. No, that's not true either. If I know that you're sick and I've got the answer to cure you, and I say, well, you just stay in your sickness, I'll keep the cure to myself. So what kind of a jerk am I? Jesus is the only true power. And so that's why we bang on about him left, right and centre. Well, what else? Well, we're nearly at the end. Verse 22. We read that God has put all things under the authority of Christ and that he's made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. There's a reason why that Jesus is in authority over all things. There's a reason why he has the top job, and that is for our benefit. We read that it is for the benefit of the church. He is the top dog for us. Now, when you think of the church, what do you think of? You might think of this beautiful building that we're in here. This is the church. Well, it's kind of a church building, but it's not the church. Also, maybe it's the, uh, you know, it's the minister and the parish council and the parishioners and the people and that sort of structure. You could say that's the Anglican Church. Maybe it's the connection of all the Anglican churches around Australia, the Anglican Church of Australia, the denomination. Maybe it's all the people alive at the moment on earth. Well, you know what? When, G- when Paul is talking about the church, what is he saying? Well, verse 23, he says, The church is Jesus' body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. This is just perfectly in keeping with what he's been saying for the last couple of weeks that we've been looking at. That you get all the benefits of God by being united with Christ. Because Jesus is the ultimate Christian, of course, uh, you know, named it after him. You know, the Jews who followed him and followed Jesus, they then get connected to him. And the non-Jews who followed Jesus get connected to him. And we are all connected, all thrown into the blender together as one, united with Christ. One big, huge Christian casserole. That's us together. And we get all the benefits of that. We, this body of Christ, that's the church. And it's not just the people who are in the pews here right now. It's the people who were in the pews here 150 years ago who trusted in Jesus. And the people 1,500 years ago who trusted in Jesus. All of us together, that is the church. We're going to learn a lot more about the church in Ephesians in the coming weeks. Buckle up, it's awesome. But the point of all of this is that the church is the body of Christ. And more than just being the people on earth today, it's all the people in heaven. The church is the heavenly gathering of believers, the heavenly gathering of believers. We saw this in the book of Revelation. If you've joined us more recently, you missed that little series. You can get it online and check it out or just turn over to the Bible, to the last chap- last book of the Bible, and you'll see the Revelation. There's all these people through throughout history gathered together with Jesus saying, You are worthy, our Lord. And together, you want a picture of the church? That's the church. That's the body of Christ. And we are actually part of that, even here today. More about that in the weeks to come. So what did you write down in your little piece of paper? I'm not going to ask you to look at it again. Well, you can look at it again. I'm not going to ask you to shout it out loud. But I wonder if you would write anything differently as a result of listening to this talk this morning. Has this sermon helped you understand what, the, what it is that we should be praying for? 
I'm sure the stuff you wrote down before was awesome. Keep those stuff. But you might have some other things to add in as well as we pray for each other. I think when I was growing up as a young Christian, I really liked the kind of prayers that were really, really off the cuff. I kind of liked when someone would get up the front and they'd have no notes and they'd just pray and they'd just say stuff. Now, that's great. That's lovely. It really is good. But I think in my old age, I've actually come to the point where I like to pray old prayers. Prayers that have been written by some old people who've been praying for a long, long time and prayers that are actually based on the Bible. And so that's why we'll have some prayers up here on the screen that, that, that you know, didn't come up with this morning. It's, they've been around for a long time. Because the prayers that are well thought out are prayers that can really help us to pray according to God's mind. And so we have here in Ephesians chapter 1, one of the greatest prayers ever written in history. And what a joy it is to be able to read that and to, and to be able to pray that. Uh, one of the fun things that's come from this bizarre 2020 that we're living is, is that a few months ago, a few of us said, let's get together and pray every single morning, except Sunday mornings. And so we do that online for half an hour at seven o'clock on zoom.jambrewanglican.com if you're interested. And we sit down and we pray some prayers and read the Bible together. And it's been great. We decided, actually, let's, let's use some of the, the Anglican prayers and let's read the Bible and stuff together. And I have found that a great blessing because of the prayers that have helping me think biblically about what I'm asking of God. We've got that here as well. And so the challenge is for us this week to pray according to God's will. To pray according to what makes his heart flutter what it is that is on his list of priorities and in doing so we can pray that God's will would be done to his glory let's pray now we thank you our heavenly father so much for your great love and we do ask our heavenly father that you would give us strength to know the hope that we have this confident hope that you'd help us to be truly thankful and that you would give us your mind so that we would have wisdom to see things the world in this world the way you do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.